I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science is If you count the legal votes, I easily win. It is time to take the bricks down. This candle smells like my vagina. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast where each week I ask the question... Oh, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? Britain needs to make its mind up. Do we want to kick out foreigners or not? For years, people have been screaming, Hey, come over here, taking our jobs! And now the same people are going, I'll tell you the thing about foreigners, they don't come over here and they don't take our jobs. I'm sick of them. We should kick them out of wherever they are and kick them back in here to do our jobs. See how they like that. We're like an abusive husband whose wife's left him after years of him screaming at her and then he begs her to come back. British immigration policy at the moment is, oh, I'll be different this time. I promise. I'll go on. I'm useless without you. I haven't slept because I'm all night wandering the streets looking for petrol and all my strawberries have gone rotten. I need you, doll. I've changed. Don't stay in Poland. Come back. But we haven't even learnt to beg properly because the government has proposed a solution of relaxing immigration laws for three months. Oh, that's a tempting offer, isn't it? It's a surprise that tourist boards don't advertise holidays like this. This year, why not enjoy a relaxing break in a country that recently told you to piss off home? Delight in the wonderful views of the M6 as you deliver five tonnes of mushrooms to Morrison's in Stoke. And then... On Christmas Eve, they'll tell you to piss off home again. We're the only country ever that's gone, We are sick of freedom of movement. I am sick of being allowed to go where I want. You know who I envy? Battery chickens. Not free to go anywhere. Paradise. Government Minister Simon Clark said none of our problems were because of Brexit, as every other country is experiencing the same problems. Now, this is strange because there don't appear to be petrol shortages in France or Germany or Italy or anywhere else in the world. So this must be because these countries are all half a mile long. So you don't need so much petrol to get round them. We had an entire referendum dominated by a campaign that insisted we had too many foreigners. Every day, Nigel Farage or someone like that made points such as, if we stay in the EU, everyone in Turkey will come here, all 50 squillion of them. So you won't be able to get to the shops because their carpets will be stacked up outside your door so you won't be able to open it. Then they'll take all your furniture and make kebabs out of it. And there's nothing you can do Because it's European law. So it's not surprising that they've all gone. There's one scheme suggested by ministers, which is we ask people convicted of minor offences to drive our lorries. Oh, that's going to work, isn't it? If we do try this, we should start with the Vote Leave campaign, which was convicted of breaking electoral law. And then as a minor offender, Nigel Farage could spend the next few years delivering clothes to branches of Primark, doing a job once done by a foreigner. He'll be living his dream. Then we should make it kids who miss 
misbehave as well. So in detention, instead of being made to do 500 lines, they'll have to drive a lorry from Lowestoft to Plymouth 500 times. And if a teenager's caught joyriding, we can say to them, now you can joyride a truck full of piglets up to Darlington. They might destroy the central barrier along a six-mile stretch of the A1 when they can't resist a handbrake turn, but these are unprecedented times. But even this won't be enough. So next week, the government will tell us that they've solved the problem of 50,000 stray dogs in the UK by fast-tracking them all for an HGV licence. Examiners will be told not to disqualify them on their test for minor infringements such as humping the gear stick or driving through a branch of Nando's to chase a ball. And then they can drive six tonnes of broccoli from Swansea to Bolton, but then they'll just turn round and bring it straight back again without delivering it. And then they'll bark going, oh, 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 until you go, good boy, good boy. And then you can get them to take the same stuff up again. European lorry drivers aren't going to come back here for three months. The government might as well go on telly and say, there are over one million corpses in Britain's graveyards, which we plan to bring back to life as zombies so that they can be retrained to drive our trucks. But then they'll refuse to drive them and go on strike because Asda's got a shortage of human flesh, which Grant Shapps will insist is nothing to do with Brexit. And still there are people who go, we'll get through it, we'll be fine. I mean, we got through the blitz. And that's true. The only difference is, we didn't vote for the fucking blitz, did we? What the fuck is going on? It is impossible, as we know, for one person on their own to find out what the fuck is going on with anything, really. So, I have with me this week someone who I am so utterly delighted to introduce someone who I have done shows with over the last 85 million years, <laughs> Jenny Eclair. Yes, hooray! It's 40 years, do you know, Mark? It is. I was thinking about it, and I was talking about my vagina even back then, even though it's a completely <laughs> different shape. Yes, you must have covered every aspect of your vagina over the years. Every, every permutation of my vagina has been discussed <laughs> in detail. Now, what the fuck is going on? Now, I'm going to turn this to just a brief little story about something I did, and then I'll want your opinion on this. Okay. So I was, because I write for the Sunday Mirror, I was lucky enough to be at their party in Brighton this week because there was a Labour Party conference. And I went there, it was a lovely do, big packed thing and everything. And the strangest thing is that I was sort of stood there with a couple of other columnists, including Susie Boniface, who has been on this programme. And then someone went, uh, what did you reckon on that? I said, what? And it turned out Keir Starmer, who after was the leader of the Lone had been in and made a speech in the room. And nobody had noticed. He's the leader of the opposition. Oh, my God. This is the man that Labour needs to inspire the country to vote in for him to become Prime Minister. In his own room. It's there for the Labour Party. Ah, so first of all, it really, really reminded me. I'm not just saying this because you're here. Yeah. I said, that reminds me of the sort of gigs we used to do in the 80s. And yeah. I was thinking you Jenny because we quite often went to gigs especially student ones exactly sometimes we'd have to do student fresher weeks and we, I mean we were only in our 20s and they just thought we were old farts that they just couldn't have given a shit no and there were gigs as well on the circuit where you'd stand up I mean sometimes let's face it I bet Keir Starmer had a microphone back in those yes. days we didn't even have a microphone no we just we stand didn't and, on a sort of, like, a few sort of beer crates shouting in the corner of a pub. Yes, and when what you're shouting is about your vagina, it's really humiliating <laughs> when no-one's listening, When no-one's interested, it's... I mean, I feel for Keir Starmer. He's just turned out to be 
just a bit disappointing and it's such a shame. I was particularly disappointed when I discovered that he wasn't able to command any authority in a room <laughs> set up for him. Amongst his fans, yeah. Now, there is another side to this, which is a little bit more positive, yeah. which is that about, I don't know how long after, because I don't know when Keir Starmer left, but I think about 15 minutes later, suddenly the room went nuts and you couldn't help but because <laughs> Andy Burnham had come in and yeah. he just did Don't Look Back in Anger, the Oasis song on the karaoke, and the place went wild. Of course it did. Yeah. That's the future, isn't it? Fuck speeches, <laughs> they've got to do karaoke. Well, that's definitely the solution. That was a party political broadcast on behalf of the <laughs> Labour Party. <laughs> I mean, I wonder how Keir Starmer slunk out of the venue, because, I mean, I remember in early days finding any route out of the venue where you did not have to walk past the people who had ignored, despised and loathed your oh guts. God, I mean, yeah, I've, yeah, I've disappeared, yeah. especially I've done a few corporates at hotels where I've really had the most appalling deaths where I've had to leave the stage and because I've been so embarrassed of myself you know some of these things are really posh and they've got a car waiting for you and all that but I haven't been able to go out the front for the car I have gone through the kitchens I've gone through the service (laughs) lift come through a fire door in a back street somewhere and just found a bus that has taken me back to Camberwell because my shame my shame is so huge Oh, there's probably comics down there there's people who are like 85 in the kitchens sort of hiding in a cupboard with all those big pots. That never got out. What, yeah. what are you doing here? They'll find him one day. What are you doing? Oh, have they gone yet? Have the Cheese Corporation gone? Because I did yeah. a cheese... Co- and they were all Belgian or Dutch or whatever. And I was trying to do it in English, which is obviously my first mistake. Uh, but that whole thing, the cold shouldering, the, particularly for women, and I mean, you know... And I know it happens yeah, yeah, to yeah. men as well, because I've seen you die on your yeah, ass. Yeah, no Christ, yeah. I've seen everybody. I've seen all the greats die. But for women, it's a sort of power status thing, particularly at the corporates where, you know, he big chief ape at the table, the one who's got all the money Mm. and decides how many bottles of wine get bought after the free bar is shut, decides whether he's going to listen to the performer. And what inevitably happens is you see the shoulders turn. You come on the stage and you just see these broad suited shoulders turn and they turn back into the table and they start up another conversation it's almost choreographed as you walk on you see that happen as soon as your name is announced you just go well i might as well just stage a faint i think when i was sort of in my 20s come to the sort of place i did it was actually probably the, the finest lesson i had in our sexism works really was seeing that there were blokes who really couldn't bear the idea of laughing at a woman in yeah. the late 80s and those sort of things. They felt yeah. it would emasculate them. Yourself yeah, well, and Joe did. Brand and stuff, you know, <laughs> it's just so immensely important, really. Yeah. But uh, no, no, you could sort of feel them, like angry, mm. angry. And if they mm. were almost half laughed at a woman, that would make them angry because they're losing their power or something, you know. And sometimes a compo would do, right now we've got a, a lady comic, we've got a, a little lady comic. And the, the audience just go, oh... <laughs> I mean, these days, it's, so, it's easier for me now because, you know, I do preach very much to the converted. As you do, we've been around for 40 years. If we haven't mm. managed to carve off our own niche by now, yes. and which is what you're saying about Keir Starmer, that's what he should have been, you know, when he came in, there should have been a palpable air of excitement and people's shoulders should have turned towards that stage. Yes. Now, one of these gigs that we did, of which you refer back in the 80s, I just want to briefly mention that. You know, sometimes a sort of story happens and you tell lots of people and then you think, oh, I hope I've remembered that right, right. But this is why I often tell this because I think this is possibly one of the happiest moments of my life. 
Me and you were part of a whole package of people. We got in a van and there was loads of people doing the Freshers' Fair at Bristol. This is how I remember it. Loads of us went down there and we were all doing different rooms and what have you. And you and me were booked to go down along with an a cappella group called Dancing with the Dog. Of which I know nothing. One of them could be Barack Obama, for all I know. I have no idea. I can't remember anything about him. But there was a lot of that at the time, wasn't there? Bum, 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 yeah. bum, 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 all that, right? <laughs> yeah, all that nonsense, right. So they were booked to do a thing with us, and we were supposed to go in some room or other, somewhere in Bristol University of the Freshers' Fair. And we went into this room, and it was exactly as you were describing. I don't think there was even a mic. I don't know. And I remember it was only the two of us, because Dancing with a Dog cancelled the day before. <laughs> uh, they had more sense. And me and you went in this room and it was just like the Keir Starmer thing. I can't remember which one of us went first, but it was just disastrous. There's nothing. We could have fired off cannons. We could have ridden round naked on a hippo. No one would have taken any notice. At the end of the night, we all had to go up into this room where the student social secretary was, who had a big old metal box with money and you went in and you said who you were and me and you it was our turn all right come in and we went in and he said yeah who are you mark still jenny eclair and he went right all right he counted out our money and then he went are you collecting dancing with the dogs money as well yeah and i remember in my mind i just thought jenny don't fuck this up and i'm sure you were thinking the same about me and we both went yes yes yes, we are are. collecting dancing and then and this is what i'm still now jenny as i'm saying it i'm feeling the excitement (laughs) he's just turning over these 10 pound notes 50 60 and we've no idea when he's gonna stop and it was fucking hundreds wasn't it at a time when i was so broke it was yeah, fucking glorious. It was one of the happiest moments of my life. It was like a great big casino win. It was, yeah. And I remember then we sort of like, we kept our composure until we got out on a fire escape. We were on some yeah, steps yeah, yeah, on yeah, the yeah. fire escape with this huge wads of cash between us, counting it out between us, like not really believing our luck. And sort of, you know, for a while after, I felt a bit guilty. But then I, I sort of think that for all the shit that we went through, Ooh. for all the utter shit and the terrible, terrible times, it was kind of payback and it was good payback and I you know if it happened again I'd do the same thing oh <laughs> I've god I, mean, no I can't imagine whatsoever yeah. they didn't turn up fuck them I'm having their money yeah yeah and it was so brilliant and of course back then you know like you've never been so rich in a way because extra money you didn't have kids oh, or yeah. mortgages or shit like that Oh my god. It was god, for treats. Know. It was just it for was... sheer treats. I <laughs> know. Uh, I mean, I, I'd have spent it all on fags and booze and stupid clothes and all that kind of thing. I mean, we did have enormous fun. You know, we did some Edinburgh's together and all that sort of thing. And I do miss, I mean, f- gigging at the moment. I mean, I know you're not on a proper tour like some of us are. I'm doing 60 for fuck's sake. No, I'm jealous. Well, I know. I know. It's been, I have to say, the first night back and. I am quite an emotional person. I keep it quite hidden, but I am a, a weller-upper. And I came out on stage at Leeds and I came out and this it was their first night out, it seemed, as well. And there were just all these women. And it was only a tiny venue. It was a couple of hundred, maybe 300 tops. And just the noise. The, and I hadn't yeah, yeah, yeah. felt or heard that noise for so long. Yeah. And I genuinely had to fight back the tears. I was absolutely, I, my eyes were flooding and I just was choking a bit and it was just great. I mean, since then, you know, I'm still slightly in the honeymoon period because it's a brand new show and it's, there's something lovely about having new material because it gets to a point with old material where you start 
feeling like you've got old stones with mud in your mouth and you're just spitting out these old muddy stones and you're trying to lick the mud off them as they fall from your lips but actually it's just old dirt you're just spewing up old dirt so it's all fresh material at the moment but it is a new thing you just think oh for fuck's sake 2021 and we're driving around i have a driver and we are on the motorway with one eye on the petrol gauge. I mean, that's yes. a novelty. That is a novelty, Mark. It is from one sort of crisis to another. Absolutely. And I mean, last night, driving home from Haven't, we're coming back, and there's this long queue, of, we get stuck in gridlock. Absolute. There's no going back, there's no side turns, there's no way off this main road, Mark. No way, no. unless you're in a fucking hovercraft or something. Yeah. And it is a queue for the petrol station. And so everyone starts sort of like going round the side. But then these four boys decided to cut across the road from the other side of the road to join this queue to kind of edge into the beginning of the queue because they saw their opportunity. And I, I mean, honestly, there must have been about 80 cars in the queue right behind me. Who is the only person that gets out of the car and starts offering (laughs) the boys a fight? I am the only person... (laughs) Because I've had enough, Mark. I've done my gig. I've had yeah. a miniature bottle of Chardonnay in the front of the car. I'm not the driver. Yeah. I'm allowed. And my dander's up. And I just thought, you can't do that. We've got to, you know, if we're going to do petrol queuing, we've got to do petrol queuing in a civilised fashion. I'm with you. I think if Keir Starmer wants to come up with a policy that is going to ignite the population, it should be that the next time there's a petrol crisis, anyone in those queues, a big fucking net drops over them and they're all fucking deported and replaced by people trying to get here on boats. Very good. I think that that is the only solution. Thank God you're here to save the world, Mark. (laughs) Will he come up with that? Will he propose that? No. No, no. Now, we do also have to talk about, obviously, terrible, terrible, terrible thing, uh, murder of a woman, awful, by a a copper. No question about that. It's exhausting. Yes. But what the fuck is going on with... A police chief who suggests that the answer to this is women need to be more aware of their legal rights when approached by a police man. Yeah, yeah. He actually said she should not have submitted. So, again, throwing the blame back on Sarah Everard. I mean, I think the most distressing and difficult read of recent, oh, God knows how long, was the statement Sarah Everard's mother made to the court it's an unbearable read. It's I can't even talk about it now because it is so intensely painful. I mean, the woman is in purgatory. It is hell. Her life is hell. And there is absolutely nothing anybody can do to help her. It is an appalling situation. There's a very good article by Jais Turner in The Times today. There's a book by Naomi Alderman where women get so angry they sort of get these superpowers of electricity. And if reality was like that Naomi Alderson book, the whole country at the moment would be crackling with our rage. Buildings would be just infernos. The anger. I think we really genuinely have had enough. I mean, the idea that it could have been her fault, and it's not just Sarah Everard, it's the police that took the photographs by the two murdered sisters in the park, who got very little press because they were the wrong colour. And then they say, flag down a bus. I can't flag down a bus when I'm at a bus stop and they don't want to stop sometimes and just go bus. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, and there's nowhere to go. That's what's so frightening, isn't it? Because you think normally you're brought up with if something like that happens, call the police. Now, magically, and in a very darkly comic way, that's partly what this police chief advised women to do. If you are worried about the policeman that's arresting you, 
call the police. <laughs> there is something quite surreally <laughs> comic about that. It's uh, I'm reading, well, I'm listening to uh, Miriam Margulies's uh, autobiography at the moment, This Much Is True, and there's an incident, in I think, in the 70s where she gets done for being on a double yellow line in Soho with her car, and there's a policeman there for some reason. It wasn't just a traffic warden. And she ripped up the parking ticket and threw it on the floor. That was her big mistake because she got done for littering. Oh, so she was taken uh, to a police station and she ended up in a cell and she was given a vaginal examination. Now, the vaginal examination was it is a step too far. It was a spiteful thing that they decided mm. to punish her. And then when she ended up in Bow Street Magistrates the next day, she said, you know, uh, I found it a bit extraordinary that I was given a vaginal examination and the, the judge dropped all charges because he knew that it had been done as an act of spite. You know, and that's years ago and things haven't really changed. It's, it's the most petrifying... And I'm a white middle-class woman, so, you know, my experiences with the police have been mostly incredibly positive. So let's not forget that. I think that this morning there will be policemen waking up in their beds, hopefully knowing that their time is, is over, that they are fucked because the tittle-tattles and the whistleblowers are going to be listened to now. And there'll be policemen waking up, good policemen thinking, thank goodness for that, I can now tell tales. Jenny, that is a magnificently positive way with which to end that chat. And something else marvellously positive that I must ask. Yes. So... This tour, then, go on, tell us where else you're coming up and where people can buy tickets to. Don't tell us the ones where people have already bought all the tickets. I mean, that's not because there's no point commercially. It's just because that I just enjoy people <laughs> telling me that they've got shows yeah. where they haven't sold all the tickets. Yeah, there's too many to count, and they go on all this year and into next year. It is 60 dates, so, you know, my website, my website, I mean, it's, there's a website called jennyeclair.com, and all the tickets are available there. Thank you, Summer. I feel so much more enlightened about what the fuck is going on Miss Jenny Eclair. This week, Tim Martin, the Brexit supporting boss of Weatherspoons, announced that his pubs have made a loss of £154 million. Now, I don't really go to Weatherspoons all that much anymore, so I'm not an expert. But luckily, we have with us someone who does understand the finances of the hospitality industry, George Galloway. Let me put it to you, boss of Weatherspoons. Your adherence to the dual principles of working class hegemony, as evidenced by your unwavering allegiance to both Brexit and to Curry Club Thursdays, at which you serve the inspirational collaboration of chicken tikka masala with pilau rice, Plain naan bread and poppadoms for £5.95, including a guest ale, will not be forgotten. Your laminated menus echo the finest utilitarian design of the architecture that graced the Soviet Union at the height of its brutalist majesty. That, Mr G.D. Weatherspoon... It's why the decline in profitability of your esteemed culinary establishment is a tragedy of monumental proportions which ranks alongside the historic defeats of the working class as exemplified by the overthrow of the Paris Commune at the hands of wretched counter-revolutionary Prussian junkers and my treacherous eviction from the house and celebrity Big Brother. 
This week, it was announced that Prince Andrew is to receive a Platinum Jubilee Medal for service to the public during the pandemic. Now, this is understandable because most of us, if we were asked to name one person who saw the country through these difficult times, we'd probably choose Prince Andrew. And to be fair, he did develop ingenious ways of not spreading the virus, spending an evening at a pizza express while remaining strangely unseen by anyone. How much lower the R number for Covid would be if we could all go to places without apparently being there. Also, he's so determined to not spread germs through bodily fluids that he's learnt not to sweat, even when he's ordered an American hot with extra chilli. Now, there are people who say it's surprising that Prince Andrew could have visited a Pizza Express in Woking without anybody noticing him, but it's perfectly understandable. I expect that Nelson Mandela and Madonna were at the next table attracting all the attention, and Elton John was probably having a loud argument with Osama Bin Laden about same-sex marriage, because the Pizza Express in Woking is a private member's Pizza Express. I'm afraid no garlic dough balls without a tie, sir. Andrew also said that convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein was only a vague acquaintance so that when he was released from prison, Andrew only went out to stay in his house for three days to tell him that he could no longer be friends with him given that he was now a notorious international paedophile. Now, it's typical of the regal demand to have only the highest ranked of everything that he befriended somebody known as an international paedophile because it really wouldn't do for a royal to be seen with a local paedophile who only covers Bournemouth and East Dorset. Andrew's defence was... I went there with the sole purpose of saying to him that because he had been convicted, it was inappropriate for us to be seen together. I was the same when I found out about Gary Glitter. I used to listen to his records when I was a kid, so I thought I'd better go and be a guest in his house for a week so I can tell him to his face I certainly won't be listening to Leader of the Gang anymore. Now, I know a story about Prince Andrew in which he was at a shooting party and when he walked into the room, nobody took any notice. So Andrew went, right, let's try that again, shall we? I'm going to go out, come back in, you all stand up and say, good morning, your highness. But why is he like this? It must be because the royals think that they are naturally superior to everybody else. So when you hear people say, oh, the Queen's doing a really good job, I'm glad we've got a Queen, that's not a pro-monarchist argument. The Queen isn't Queen because she went for an interview. She didn't work her way up. It's no good going, oh, she started out as a humble princess in the post room and rose up through the ranks. No, she was just born and then her uncle was a Nazi, so she became Queen. It's not like the ten rankings you don't go up and down according to how well you've done nobody goes oh the Duke of Bridlington's doing ever so well at the moment if he opens up three more footbridges this month he'll go up from 63rd to number 49 if you're a royal it doesn't matter how shit you are at your job you could launch a ship and go oh what am I like I've sent it the wrong way I've knocked down Southampton you'd still be the same number that you were before 
But the trouble is, people buy into this and then go, oh, the Queen's marvellous. And you get books written about her, like the one by royal author Karen Dolby that says... The Queen has a wicked sense of humour and is a great mimic. And then I heard all these politicians repeating it, going, oh, do you know, on top of everything else, Her Majesty is marvellous at accents. She really is the most extraordinary, wonderful lady, a mimic on top of everything. Oh, for God's sake, they just put this in a Buckingham Palace press release, going, we can put whatever we want, the sycophantic twats will read it. Next week we'll say that she got a break of 123 in the snooker quarter final. I thought, if I was interviewing anybody saying that, I'd go, oh, she's a brilliant mimic. Mimic, is she? All right then, who does she do? My money's on Harry Kane. I bet when she's greeting the King of Norway, she says, Hello, Harald the 25th. Yes, here's something I've been working on. Yeah. Obviously, I was pleased to get the goal. You know, I mean, Raheem's done really good to get the crossing. And luckily, you know, there I was to just nod it in, you know, but uh, next week's another game, we go again. Now I'm working on Paul O'Greedy. But it doesn't stop there. The same article says... It is not just people the Queen can imitate, with the monarch said to be able to mimic a concord. I suppose, and then she'd go... That's Andrew flying off to see Geoffrey again to tell him he really, really can't see him. So with this sort of adulation, it's no wonder they've ended up such a dysfunctional family. If the Queen had gone on the Jeremy Kyle show, the caption along the bottom would have said, my son's best friend was an international paedophile and my other son was an adulterer throughout his marriage, although he's due to be head of the Church of England, and my grandson's fled and his wife says we're racist. And if Andrew is convicted, as an offender, at least he can drive a truck of frozen peas to a Lidl in Norwich, or maybe that's why he's been given this medal. He might need it in a couple of years. To swap it for fags. Now, petrol shortages have been affecting us all, but I overheard one woman in a cafe who's been really suffering. Well, I heard Richard Maidley say on Good Morning Britain there's a shortage of petrol, but do not go out and panic by. So I very calmly sent the nanny out to walk to the service station on the M25 to fill up the tropical fish tank and the picnic hamper. She was gone for four hours. And Colin needs petrol because he's head of marketing for Pringles for the whole of the Rygate area. So I had to go out in the Range Rover and find her. And there she was, stuck in a queue behind some selfish idiot. I said, excuse me, some of us actually need petrol. He said, I'm a rapid response blood transport courier. It says so on the van. I said, but my husband's head of marketing for Pringles for the whole of the Rygate area. So I had to push in front. I managed to fill up the tank and now Nectarine's devastated because her Siamese fighting fish are dead. And when I complained to the man at the aquarium, he said... I'm too upset to deal with it. My wife's in intensive care. She went in for a blood transfusion, but the blood didn't get there in time. But that's the trouble with people these days. It's just me, me, me. Excuse me, I asked for Prosecco in my yuzu. What the fuck is going on? One of the joys of doing this podcast is answering the messages that get sent in. For example, someone called Venn Diagram sent me this message. Mark, I saw a tweet about the UK space race and assumed it was a joke, albeit not a very believable one. It turns out to be true. What the actual fuck is going on? You're quite right, Venn Diagram. We can't get from Hull to Bridlington because there's no petrol. We can't go into space. This is just one of Boris Johnson's mad things that he does every few weeks, like he had a bridge that he was going to build to Ireland. Just mad things. Oh, there's a crisis. What are we going to do about Boris? I'm going to build a castle in the clouds made of uh, trifle, and we shall all live. We'll be turning to giant 
butterflies. We can't even stand being part of Europe. Why do we want to be part of space? If we went to space, within six months, there'd be people going, I'm sick of being part of the solar system. I've had enough. We should leave. Why should we have to go along with their gravity? I never voted to go orbit round the sun. And then you'd have Brian Cox would have to come on going... Oh, the trouble is the centrifugal force is something that the democratic will is not able to... Shut up, Cox, you traitor! I agree with you, Venn Diagram. The robotic Richard Simmons writes in to say, What the fuck is going on? There's a great Northern Ireland clown shortage. And I looked this up and the robotic Richard Simmons is quite right. It's been reported in the BBC that Northern Ireland's short of clown. I suppose that's, you know, as crises go for Northern Ireland, historically, you know, when the annals of Northern Ireland are written, it won't go... Then, after the Civil War, which followed the famine and the settlement of the Scottish Protestants of the 17th century that caused a constant war that went 350 years, and then, worst of all, they ran out of clowns. And Marcus Wagner, and the name is important, says, These days, your columns literally write themselves without need for embellishing real-life events. And what he's talking about is the fact that because of the petrol shortage and the lorry driver shortage. One of the schemes that the British government has come up with, they discovered that because of a sort of clerical error, many, many people in Germany before 1999, when they got their driving licence, they were also entitled to drive a seven and a half tonne truck. And so because that sort of bureaucratic error means that that's the case... The British government has now written to all these random Germans asking them to get, even though they can't drive a seven and a half ton truck, it was a clerical error. That'll do. Come here. Leave Germany where you've probably got a job for life, where you're paid three times as much as you are here in a stable country that isn't quite as mental as our one. And nonetheless, leave it to come over here for three months so that you can drive a lorry that you in no way know how to drive so that then the country will be full of incidents in which the police arrive and say what seems to be the trouble. I don't know, but I seem to have driven this truck through the middle of Primark. Thank you, Marcus Wagner. He also says that he's waiting to receive his letter, but may have to politely decline. What the fuck is As ever, it would be impossible to work out what the fuck is going on in this world if you only hung around with people your own age. So luckily I bred someone who was able to keep me enlightened as to what the young people think. Elliot Steele, hello. Hello. So, transport. When you're older, you're more likely to go about by car, maybe, I don't know. And I know when you get very old, it can be awkward. But getting about London... That's really hard now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's impossible. Anywhere in London takes an hour to get to. If you want to go to Wembley, from where we live in Croydon, that's an hour. If you want to go to the post box at the end of the road, that is also an hour. Yeah, you have to allow an hour. <laughs> it's just an hour. That's my rule. Anywhere in London is an hour. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's right. But 
At night, it's even worse, isn't it? Yeah, well, with all the things that are going on this week, now that buses have to double up as policing the police, so I wonder if they're going to put extra buses on for that. Probably not. Yeah. Oh, just my luck. Then I get the 133, and, oh, we've got diverted because we had to go and arrest a police officer. <laughs> That's why I've got home 40 minutes late. Tapping <laughs> in your Oyster card, and then the 250 driver tells you that he's got to go stop a hate crime from a copper. <laughs> Actually, mate, this hate crime's happening. Nearer where I live, are you able to? It was to quite handy, actually. You open yeah. the back doors and let me jump off. <laughs> so this is the thing that annoys me with like all that's being said this week. Within regards to Transport for London, is like what I love about Sadiq Khan is he'll come out and he'll make these brilliant statements where he's like, "Men, we have to do better. We have to." you know, look at society and start changing it and, and working on ourselves. And he says all of these things. And it's like, brother, start with yourself. You are a man in charge of things. Just put the tubes on and that makes things a bit safer for people. If the tubes run at night, not everyone's getting into a packed night bus. Here's for people who don't live in London or don't travel by a night bus in London. Here's what the night bus is. And it's safer than the tube. It is people coming back from work at like two, three in the morning. It is people coming back from a night out at two, three in the morning. And then it is all the people who are up at two, three in the morning who are insane. So now you're all on a bus together. So what happens is it's like you're kind of working out which one's going to kick off. Is it going to be the group of lads who've been on a night out sniffing coke all night? Or is it the guy who wants to go out and smoke crack? What one of them are going to kick off? Or like sometimes it's like someone just gets on and does something mad and has like a pigeon in their pocket or something. And that's fine. That's actually like, oh, at least they're not going to be trouble. Yes, a London night bus is mental. So you got a night bus the other night when you went out? Yeah, uh, I got a night bus. And that was quite a cheery story. Oh, it's horrible. So I got a night bus from Waterloo Bridge. Right. It was on the X68. And like, I get on and it's packed. I've never known it to be this packed because there isn't any tubes. So the people who would usually just go from central London down through the five tube stops there are in South London for some reason. I would say it was the underground was designed by a North Lunder who went, right, here you go, Camden, Belsize Park, Finchley Central, Golders Green, Hampstead, Regents Park, South London, you can have Waterloo and Elephant Castle, anywhere else you fucking walk. <laughs> it goes to Amersham. If anyone knows, like, Amersham is in the middle of the Buckinghamshire countryside and there's farmers going, oh, he's holding the ground here, right, get them pigs to market down here. Keep to the right as you go down the escalators, boys. God forbid Croydon should be on part of the Northern line, though. <laughs> They're able to build skyscrapers that are nearly a fucking mile long, but not able to use a bucket and spade to put a tube in Streatham. <laughs> a bucket and spade. So, I, I'm on the X68. There's these two lads who are, like, being dicks, but they're, they're just, like, young guys, like, sort of looking for a fight. And so, ignoring them... And then this crackhead gets on. I don't know if you're allowed to call him that anymore, but, you know. And he, he just starts, like, having a go at this woman for, like, no reason. But I'd, like, I saw, I had my headphones off, but I wasn't really paying attention to it. And then this other guy, like, called him out, which was really good to see. Like, all the guys on the bus started calling him out. Everyone was like, mate, what the fuck are you doing? Like, so him and this other guy get in this argument. The guy who's calling the crackhead out, who's, like, in his work gear, goes to drag the crackhead off the bus. They both get off in the bus, start fighting. But the guy who dragged him off the bus, who was like going for the crackhead, started not doing very well in the fight, which was sad to see. So yeah. I then went over and I just took him down, put him in a rear naked choke. But I, di I didn't put the choke in or anything. I just had the choke. Like I didn't, I right. didn't put it in. I was just there going like, mate, you got to calm down. Like what are you? Oh, and he stunk a piss as well. So all my clothes now stunk of this guy's piss. So then I had to like get him up, get him his shoes back. His shoes has come off in great crackhead fashion. I got him back on a bus 
And like, as that's going on, this bloke comes up to me and he's like, oh, typical Palace fan or something. And I'm like, well, how did he know? I was like, how did he know I was a Palace fan? He was like, I really like the podcast you do with your dad. <laughs> and so I've gone from like beating up this cracker to being like, mate, thank you so much for listening. No, we really appreciate it. Like, yeah, the numbers are doing well. And then I just hear, smash! And the crackhead threw a brick through the bus. <laughs> so we all went to get off. I was enjoying my newfound fame. And I was brought back down to where I was very quickly. I think it's a perfect tale for our times. In a week in which the police have advised us that the way to stay safe is when your police approach you to hail down a bus driver to save you from the crimes of the police. That on a bus, you come across a crime and end up failing to stop the crime but acknowledging that someone listens to the podcast on which we talk about <laughs> matters such as the police saying you have to get a bus. I think that's a perfectly circular way in which to complete this week's podcast. I can only thank you, Elliot. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, please subscribe, then rate it. And if you could be bothered, write a review. And if you can't be bothered, definitely write a review. We've also now got a website, whatthefisgoingonpodcast.co.uk and if there's anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message or send me a message for any reason on Twitter at WTFisgoingonpod. What the fuck is going on was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Jenny Aglair and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Pete Sinclair. It was written by Mark Steele, James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Downing. It was produced and edited by Scott Matt and Pod Monkey. What the fuck is going on is a co-production of Pod Monkey and Pod Sick Industry.